The Rufus Project would like to advise the following podcast contains spoilers for Skidoo from 1968. If you do not wish to have this movie spoiled, please watch it before listening to the following podcast. Is it a trippy fun peek into the hippie culture of the late 60s, or should it have kept off the grass? We watched Skidoo from 1968 to see if it was redeemable. Were we successful? Find out after the theme. So bad it's good, what's this movie do you think we should? It's got bad I love dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Hello and welcome to the Rufus Project Redeeming Features cast, this time looking at Skidoo from 1968. I am your co-host Trevor Holland and I am joined by my good friend and other co-host... Christian Fletcher, thank you, Trevor, for having me back. And, and like always, it's a pleasure to be um, to do the Redeeming Features podcast, even if the movies might not always live up to <laughs> our expectations, or or possibly are below our expectations. I'm not sure. So, thank you for having me back. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, I mean, Skidoo was your suggestion, so. If you thought I was going to have you back, I don't know how much you thought about that during the movie. Um, but uh, I, I will say it was an interesting choice. Yes, it's um, it probably like if, if any people were to look at our list of redeeming features, they'd probably go, "What is that Skidoo movie?" It is probably regarded as a cult oddity, whereby I don't think that many people actually remember it or choose to remember it. It had a very limited run. It finally got a DVD release a couple of years ago for the first time ever. So it has rela- it has laid buried for a long time, and I've I've tried to watch it several times, but it's always been sort of one of these infamous movies that's sort of spoken about, but no one ever remembers seeing. So. Thank you for, for humouring me, Trevor, and, and allowing me to get through Skidoo. Well, you know, I'm always keen for something new, uh, and and I'd never come across this one before, so it was a fresh experience uh, to, to check this one out. Definitely, and I, I thought going back a bit further, we've been doing a lot of sort of recent films in sort of recent times, so I thought going back to 1968, and probably a genre of film, I don't know if I should admit that I'm a, it's a genre of film that I love a lot, because <laughs> you've seen the resulting movies, but um, I'm, I'm quite a fan of these late 60s psychedelic movies, and I suppose that's what you could easily fit Skidoo alongside, even though to look at a history of acid movies or LSD movies, it's, it's hard to sort of rank that up there as, you know, your Easy Rider. But it's it essentially was wedged between Easy Rider and The Beatles, Yellow Submarine. The Monkees even had a psychedelic film called Head. So it was everyone was cashing in on this around the time. So Skidoo is very much a product of its time. Because, like we said, it's a bit of a, a more obscure movie, not that well known. Uh, now, I did go searching for a nice synopsis, and it seems like no one out there could actually put together a a synopsis for this movie, like IMDb, Amazon, or the usual places. They all completely skipped the synopsis. So, um, what I've done is I've put one together. I mean, even though no one seemed to have a synopsis, uh, but it's about an ex-hitman who gets called upon to do one more job, then hippie and drug stuff happens. <laughs> and mix that in with 
possibly some of the biggest names of the 60s, even though I think to look at it in 2016, a lot of people would scratch their heads wondering who the hell these people were. But a lot of them were very much variety or, or TV show stars. Mm. And, and um, I, I think a big thing in the 60s was these... I don't know if you can call Skidoo an ensemble film, but very much, you know, one of these ones where you can, let's throw as many people in this movie as possible and let's just hope it bloody works. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, I certainly recognise plenty of the names and when you think about, um, well, almost the, the golden age of Hollywood, I mean, this was a bit post that, but, you know, you, you do have like, uh, like um, Jackie Gleason, Carol Channing, Frankie Avalon, uh, Mickey Rooney's in there. And, and I, I, I was surprised to see a lot of the Batman alumni from the TV show. I think it was at Cesar Romero, Burgess Meredith, and Frank Gorshin or Gorkin, I think. Who played. Are, are you are you stepping on some of my trippy here? Oh, I think I might be Trevor. I might have had those <laughs> notes myself. But I, I was actually really impressed because it, it sort of became a, let, let's spot the spot the cameo. And, I, and then my other trivia sort of led to, I, I believe, Otto Preminger, even, who, the, who directed Skidoo, even appeared in a few... Batman episodes as Mr. Freeze, so it all seems very, very linked. It does indeed, but before we, we get too much into the trivia, um, and and yep, you've definitely, one on trivia stomped on one of my items. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay, we we do need to talk turkey trivia. Um, so first up, we'll, we will talk turkey. Uh, it's rated 4.9 out of 10 on IMDb, so hovering right around that mid-range there. Uh, there is, of course, no info for the budget. There doesn't seem to be much for these older movies, but I did find a reference to it being made on a, in quotes, lavish budget. And as for the box office, I don't think anyone really cared. Well, yeah, being a box office, a critical and commercial flop, I, I think possibly the the lavish budget probably would have gone just for paying these these stars. I think so, and, and and you know, definitely you can see it on screen, but I don't know if it was just very very well lit sets or cinematography, but everything had that very vivid pastel that you expect from the era. So, but. I don't know whether it was lavish necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, there were certainly a lot of people on screen, and I suppose quite a few uh, effects for the time. And, and I think, yeah, because as I mentioned, these sort of other LSD or sort of psychedelic movies at the time, they were sort of sampling a lot of, with their cinematography, a lot of these sort of effects, you know, like what we'd laugh at now with these funny gels and sort of, you know, um, very I Dream of Genie-like effects to sort of symbolise, you know, LSD trips. Because I think around that time too, they were all, especially the people making these movies, they didn't really know how to represent what a trip was actually like. I know Roger Corman had done a movie called The Trip and then Psych Out with Jack Nicholson. So it very very much was the hip, dare I say that word, thing to do around that time. But it almost felt like this was out of its depths where Otto Preminger was almost trying to be hip and cool and appeal to the younger people, but stocking it with these almost, not, not has-beens, but sort of these older actors that the kids probably wouldn't have related to as much or really appealed to. So it didn't really, it, it found, it's it struggled a lot to find that middle ground. Indeed. Well, uh, if we move on to the trivia and, it may be one thing that will help explain what was going on uh, is the fact that Otto Preminger did experiment with LSD to prepare for the film. I suppose he'd need to. And I, by the sounds of it, he probably wrote it on LSD too, <laughs> from what we've viewed. So, But I think even Groucho Marx apparently even experimented with it for his role as well. Yeah, the, there is there is reference. Uh, I, I know you mentioned it about Groucho Marx taking LSD 
on screen. I don't know if that really came across or maybe just wasn't in my copy. Yeah, I think it might have been me reading trivia that possibly wasn't all quite true. So, yeah, there were a lot of times I was waiting for something like that to happen. But yeah, I did find references to it happening, to, to him having an LSD trip in the movie, but uh, really his, his, his role was just so very much... Um, non-stop anyway i guess it would be hard to tell the difference it was also his final film with regards to to, to groucho as well it doesn't seem very appropriate that his very last scene in a film is him smoking a joint in a boat so it, it's definitely a sign yeah, of with, the times the and professor. probably not a, not a way you wanted to go out <laughs> But um, but yeah, like it was very much um, like I said, you know, in the wake of the Summer of Love, you had these sort of um, these type of films, and I, I found it was really interesting. I don't know if I'm treading on trivia here, but Rob Reiner, who went on to do Princess Bride and Spinal Tap, actually wrote all the hippie dialogue of the film. Yeah, I actually read a thing that Rob Reiner actually said that Otto Preminger fired him every day <laughs> from from the from the movie, and then rehired him the next day. <laughs> Which is funny because it's it's, to me the. Well, the hippie dialogue doesn't even stand out at all. It hardly even seems like it's there. But then I sort of recall this quite strange scene where they're in that what I, the magical mystery tour bus and painting themselves. That, to me, is just a snapshot of that sort of Woodstock era, you know, on, on film. Mm. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely was a you know representative of that sort of time. So, but um, but yeah, um, and Otto Preminger had sort of come from doing um, drug and crime movies, sort of in the past. He'd done Man with a Golden Arm with Frank Sinatra and Anatomy of a Murder with uh, James Stewart. So it was like he was kind of trying to merge the the crime and drama. Oh, sorry, the crime film with the drug film, and, and sort of trying to make it sort of hip and contemporary. And and a big thing that sort of stood out to me, and kind of an infuriating part of the movie, was the um, the opening scene or the opening. I suppose they've, they've referred to it as a bit of a prologue with the TV commercials, and that mm-hmm. uh, it got to the point where after probably even more than five minutes I was going what is happening is anything going to happen we're, we're just pretty much shown a couple flipping between television stations and after a while it began to make me realise aha this is Preminger trying to make a statement about con- consumerism or, or, or advertising at the time but talk about hitting home an idea as much as possible and ramming it down your throat as quickly as he could well, you're jumping, jumping ahead there, Christian, because I certainly was going to mention that. Uh, but funnily enough, it is a nice segue uh, because apparently that TV viewing opening, it actually shows some of Otto Preminger's film in harm's way. And uh, Preminger always complained about having his films cut to pieces on TV. So that's why Carol Channing's character says... No, we never watch films on TV. They always cut them to pieces. Aha, uh-huh, a little bit of an in-joke there, which is funny because mm. you have a feeling that most of this movie was some sort of an in-joke that we just weren't in on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have been, um, I think it would have been uh, a bit more uh, amazing considering uh, we, we uh, looked at another movie of this particular actress's uh, earlier in, in the year. But apparently Faye Dunaway was under contract to Otto Preminger at the time and refused to appear in the film after her unexpected success in Bonnie and Clyde and was promptly sued by Preminger, but the matter was settled out of court. Oh, she was she was saving her turkey for Mummy Dearest, I think, <laughs> a decade later. So, guys, that's interesting. I wonder what part she would have played, probably the daughter or something like that. But but I know that um, Carol Channing was just fresh off getting an Oscar nomination for um, Thoroughly Modern Millie, so I don't know if that was also another reason for sort of him casting her because she was very much a musical theatre star, so he was probably um, riding the coattails of her recent 
recent um, Oscar nomination. So you put like an Oscar nomination beside her role in this movie and her performance in this movie. It, it doesn't gel. Oh no! And there's something about Carol Channing. You either love her or hate her. She's just so over the top, and there's no sort of in between with her. And um, you can tell very much she she um, cut her teeth as a as a stage actress you know it just never seems to translate well on film so yeah she pretty much seems to scream and and attempt to flirt her way through this almost like she was on lsd herself uh, I, I think pretty much everyone in this movie was on something even, <laughs> even if it was just like a lot of booze i know anything to make them say yes to being in it i suppose in the first place yeah but before we get too far i think we're already giving a pretty clear indication of where we're going <laughs> with this but you never know where a redeeming feature may lie so before we get too much into i suppose some of the uh more interesting bits of the movie. I mean, we've already touched on that TV section. I think we'd better start with our baseline. Now, this movie actually had very, very few reviews, um, and I could only find one one-star review. Mind you, there were, like, weren't that many reviews full stop. So this is what I had to go with. Bought for a friend. One star. And by the way, friends that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was the result of having watched the film. <laughs> but, um, yeah, even they couldn't even watch it themselves. They had to give it as a present, so... <laughs> Um, that mm-hmm. might be saying a bit, so maybe we can try and redeem it, or take it's it can only go up, or possibly plateau from here. <laughs> or, or maybe they just thought, okay, I don't want to admit to buying this for myself. I bought it for a friend! <laughs> Spelt wrong. <laughs> but wrong. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, again, 98 minutes, it did seem longer. Oh, I know, but thankfully under two hours, or I think, you know, it would have been a double whammy <laughs> for you hitting me with having made you watch this film in the first place, because I think, I know having watched the trailer, we're sort of giving a bit of an insight into the, I can't say catchy, uh, the sort of theme music, let's just say, that's used, and I, it was composed by um, Harry Nilsson, who's best known for Lime in the Coconut in the 70s, but he um, pretty much did the whole Skidoo soundtrack, even though it's not really, aside from probably a, a one song repeated a few times and a couple of other flower power tunes, it's not, yeah, not too much of a soundtrack. We'll get to the uh, the, the more musical bits in a bit, I guess, but uh, I did find it quite funny at the beginning where um, it starts and it starts playing the theme song and, and you see the little animated guy started walking around and then suddenly <laughs> Carol Channing goes, I don't want to watch this movie! Um, yeah, you, is that <laughs> some sort of <laughs> some sort of statement about For... what's to come? And, and then <laughs> yeah, the whole a... the whole her and Jackie Gleason fighting over the TV room, having the two TV remotes and just Flicking between channels, that just went for so long. And again, I think that was him trying to parody the whole fact that, you know, I don't know if remote controls were a new cool thing at that time, possibly, and they were just, it was just again trying to ram home these kind of modern gadgets because that's the thing throughout the film there was always these kind of references to gadgets and things like that and, mm. and i don't know if that was just a reference to the time or if it was just kind of him doing it on purpose but yeah i, I think that was what that was about because there was even that part later on where frankie avalon in his house he's got a remote <laughs> control and she's grabbing it and pushing it over and over again and i'm like oh god they're not going to start doing it again are they <laughs> 
Yeah, but then, uh, like, Frankie Avalon's remote control, it only had one button, but, like, every time he pressed that button, it did something different. <laughs> and he still managed to push that one button. Actually, no, it could make sense that when he pushed the button, every single thing then began, began to open and close. That kind of made sense. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, it was actually funny seeing Frankie Avalon in this movie, the fact that, you know, he'd sort of um, spent the 60s, you know, all those beach party movies. So um, he didn't exactly... Um, move on to to better film fare, let's just say. <laughs> well, maybe he was after something a bit more gritty, so he thought a uh, an LSD fueled um, crime ex- yeah, crime see. mobster movie, which would be something which, yeah. <laughs> and and but I think it all would have gone downhill for him when he had to flirt when he had to pretty much flirt or pretend to seduce um, Carol Channing or she started oh that was just awkward so he probably wasn't expecting that yeah in in another scene they just kept going <laughs> too long. Oh, God, yeah. And that always seemed to be, and I think that there just wasn't enough substance in this movie there in the first place to even make it stretch that 98 minutes that a lot of these things just went over and over again. So not being too familiar with Preminger's style, I don't know if that was a, um, you know, something to do with his directing style, but I have read that it's not not too um, ind- indicative of um, what he's normally like. And I'm trying to think, you're like, was he... Uh, I don't know too much about Otto Preminger as a person. I'm just wondering if he was anti-hippie or not, because I don't think the hippies were portrayed particularly well, aside from the scenes where they just wanted to show them being, oh, peace, flower, love, let's cuddle on the street and paint ourselves on the back of a bus and then have a overlong sing-along in, in the bus <laughs> yeah, before then you... being picked up by the police. Yeah, because you're saying because when um, when Darlene um, uh, Jackie Gleason's daughter comes home and he's she's brought home a hippie, he keeps ma- making reference to her. she's with one of those hippies and even goes, oh, he's a fa- he must be a faggot, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So, or you know, she's bringing home hippies now. So, and I think I know what you said. You know, is it kind of him being anti hippies? I think it was more a lot of the you know just looking sort of in my research of sort of pop culture around that time. I think it was a lot to do with the establishment, i.e., parents not really getting the younger people or, or understanding what this new sort of hippie movement was. So I think Preminger, as I said earlier, was trying to be cool and hip, but couldn't help but make it sort of side more with the um, the adults. And when, like, uh, I mean, um, for anyone who listened to last week's mini podcast where I put an extract from the trailer, I mean, the trailer had Timothy Leary spouting this movie's praises. So obviously he, he was hoping to get a particular subculture in. But I'm getting the I'm guessing that the subculture, the hippie subculture, may not have been too impressed by by some of what was going on and being made out to be yeah not, not you know not these people with no future you know and and essentially like that's what I thought was funny like they all they all sang and were all happy with being love and being free but as soon as um, Carol Channing said come back to my house and with all the creature comforts they they didn't they, there wasn't a moment there wasn't a moment um they didn't bat an eyelid so that was a kind of bit weird to me like there wasn't too hippie yeah yeah and I was wondering how how the the hippie who I, I don't know if he was the daughter's boyfriend or not. It wasn't fully clear, even though he made out with her a few times. <laughs> um, he, had, he had a Rolls Royce. Yeah, that was strange, and the same Rolls Royce that Jackie Gleason mistakes for his mob people. You know, so I, I was so confused about that too. But then he proceeds to then sit on it and smoke a joint or whatever on the roof of it. So maybe it wasn't his. He was just yeah, it's quite strange. 
Yeah, but it was um, yeah, it was Arnold Stang that thought it was the the other mobster's car or whatever. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that name sounds familiar, and I'm like, ah, oh, he's the guy from Hercules in New York. I, it just, he it, is it indeed. Just, he's Pretzy. Uh, Pretzy just occurred I, to me. That's right. Oh, <laughs> God. So I knew he looked familiar from somewhere, and and he comes to sort of a a bad demise, I suppose. But he um, his sort of <laughs> his sort of part in the movie doesn't really last too long. I think he's kind of just um, Jackie Gleason's sidekick. Yeah, well, he is until he is found dead in Jackie Gleason's mobster cover car wash. And that's when he realises he possibly should go and kill Ricky Mo- um, Mickey Rooney. I was going to say Ricky Mooney, but I suppose that's probably <laughs> that's, that's probably another actor too. But um, he decides to... Well, this is the part that's confusing to me. Does he... Does he get himself arrested to get into prison, or does he just go into prison? We don't really sort of see that. The next thing he's in Alcatraz trying to um, trying to track down Mickey Rooney. So yeah, so so yeah, he gets approached. It was a Caesar Romero who, uh, back to our Batman reference, played uh, the Joker in the old Batman TV series. Yeah, he's saying that this friend, apparently he was best friends with with Jackie Gleason, Mickey Rooney. They were best friends back in the the, the gangster days. But he's going to squeal, so he's going to be taken out, and only Jackie Gleason can get to him in prison. And then suddenly, it—it's like they're all in like a men's room or something, and they get traipsed out to a boat. As it happens very suddenly, and there's one guy getting on this boat to Alcatraz who's just full-on opera singing for no apparent reason. Oh, it's just bizarre. It's like they didn't really think through the whole <laughs> how they're going to get from A to B. But, um, yeah, it's quite a confusing um, turn of events, and I think it's more probably they didn't want to have to focus too much on that. It was more a matter of let's get him into prison and, and get this movie over with because <laughs> it obviously lays the, lays the ground for the second half of the movie with sort of the, um, the, the, the LSD sort of, of the stage of it. But, um, but sorry, yeah, what were you going to say? Uh, I think I was going to say pretty much the same. So, yeah, they, they get into the prison, and, and it's just... There's this one guy who's not doing the same as everybody else, and there's some sort of weird automatic system to scan them in, and because he's not pressing a button, uh, the guards come over and get him, and, and he ends up being Jackie Gleason's cellmate, and he's a draft dodger, and they... And again, this is a thing where, where this guy's going to prison for being a draft dodger, but then you've got your main characters, Jackie Gleason and oh, whoever the other prisoner was. Yeah, I can't remember. Um... Um, who is just like keeps going back because he can't stop being a rapist. That was icky. Um, oh, but yeah, they're, they're like absolutely going, What's the matter? What's the matter? Aren't you proud of your country? <laughs> Before end up being, you know, best friends in a short space of time. <laughs> and again, sort of ramming home that whole sort of, you know, hippies were sort of burnt draft cards and did all that kind of stuff. And I mean, sorry. And yeah, so yeah, it was kind of again the whole sort of. Young versus the um the establishment, but um but yeah the, the how we get to sort of the uh, I don't know the next thing we're kind of then told I don't know how we get to the the revelation about the LSD in the stationery and, and I do not know who came up with this as the idea for the movie this is quite a strange thing but quite a quirky way to possibly escape from prison if you can make it work yeah yeah so um so yeah Jackie Gleason's writing a letter to his family, oh, that's who have no idea where he is. Like, he, like they have absolutely no idea what's happened to Jackie Gleason. He's just disappeared. And uh, then he, he licks the envelope, and, and the, the draft judge just goes, No, stop! And all my stationery is infused with LSD. 
<laughs> as uh, you do. So, <laughs> what are you talking? Is that even a? Is, is that possible? Is that a thing? I don't know. Oh my god! This Jackie Gleason trip scene won't stop. And of course, as I said earlier, they're trying to throw in all those kind of um, quite cheesy special effects that would have been quite cutting edge at the time to represent a, a, a um, acid trip. And they've got, you know, his cellmates shrinking and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it does seem to go on for a while where you're like, yeah, we kind of understand what's happening. And it's almost like Preminger then set up that the whole second half was going to be the whole acid trip because it goes for ages. It does. I mean, mind you, with an acid trip... I think the only thing that really got me in that was when the pair of eyes appeared on the bottom of the bunk and, and, uh, above him, and I'm just going, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is weird, yeah. It's almost like um they could have just shown a sh- scene out of 2001 A Space Odyssey, and it would have probably felt more like what it should have been like. <laughs> but um, but they um, it, then it starts it starts to get quite strange when they're doing the whole escape because this is I don't I may be skipping ahead because I think actually sorry during this time um um Carol Channing and the daughter have all pretty much rocked up at is it Cesar Rivero's boat no it's sorry God's boat Groucho Marx's boat to try and mm-hmm. um to try and track down um where Jackie Gleason is and then they get on their on their boats to try and track him down but in the meantime they all go into the kitchen and um put the of course the LSD infused um stationery into all the food which is and I love how this how how convenient how it's set up that where the the day that the um the warden comes in to sample the food happens to be the day that the um LSD's put in <laughs> I'm like I couldn't see that coming at all. No, I mean, um, yeah, you. But I mean, uh, don't don't skip over the fact when you told me Groucho Marx played God, I was kind of hopeful. But he's really like a mob boss, like a Godfather. Um, so uh, you you built me up on that bit, Christian. I'm, I'm going to be disappointed. I know. Well, actually, <laughs> I'd read that he played the part God, and I think I'd kind of uh, misconstrued it. I, I, he definitely played a different character to a guy in a white robe. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. so the mob boss that they all eventually want to try and track down that has, and he has a very strange. What is it? Him that has the really weird, uh, silent um, mistress or whatever they call her, <laughs> just sort of slinks around and pretty much goes from Frankie Avalon to everybody else. Yeah, basically, we'll try to sleep with every single person on on the boat, uh, pretty pretty much. <laughs> Again, trying to make the movie. Again, trying to throw in possibly, and I think she was a famous actress. At the, I mean, a famous model at the time. So again, trying to throw in another character for another person, and and then even adding to more of the confusion and mess that the movie has become at this stage. Yeah, she really did not seem to to have much of a point, rather than have an awkward moment where uh, Groucho Marx is trying to talk to Frankie Avalon, and uh, like her underwear is obscuring the camera. <laughs> Uh, and the, the you know Frankie Avalon's trying to sneak her out before Groucho Marx realizes that that uh, that they spent the night together. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much seems to be her only kind of um, contribution to the whole thing. But I um, was going to say, yeah, it's by here it's getting into a bit of a mess. And um, I, and as we said with the whole um, the prison food thing, uh, one part that I thought was quite funny was all the chefs being on on LSD and rowing in the cooking pots. <laughs> In unison. <laughs> oh, they just threw in exactly... Must have been all these different things that they were thinking, you know, um, would would be like an LSD trip. And I think Otto Preminger plays one of the... Oh, no, sorry, Harry Nielsen plays one of the tower guards, and he said he pretty much was drunk the entire shoot just to try and simulate what he thought LSD would be like. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, I, I definitely had problems with the tower guards because by the time the rather convoluted plan uh, to to get Jackie Gleason and the professor out of prison was uh, coming to fruition, like it was the following morning, and and so these guards had been tripping all night long and were still tripping come daylight. Yeah, strange. At the same time, you've had these two say you've had two guards. Sitting on the um, the the prison switchboard, who have also apparently been tripping the entire time because God's just trying to get in touch with the prison to make sure that Mickey Rooney's being killed, and uh, we've completely glossed over the bit where where Jackie Gleason manages to uh, talk to Mickey Rooney by um, having this draft dodger hack a radio. <laughs> Weird. Um, so that it could broadcast to Mickey Rooney's TV, and then he's got to stick a fork against the speaker of the TV so he can talk back. Oh, strange. Again, one yeah. of those other things where I know it wasn't a, a, a gadget of the time, but it was almost like him throwing in all these weird kind of gadgety, trinkety kind of things that were, I don't know. But yeah, that was quite strange. Are we almost just supposed to just go along with it, I think? <laughs> well, considering that. At, at the point where uh, Jackie Gleason and, and his cohort actually get outside of the prison uh, by being taken outside in the garbage bins. And then the tower guards see a... All I can say is a trash can musical number. <laughs> and it's all about how great it is to get to be a trash can and, and have garbage oh, put in you. And it, of course, and, with the typical kind of um, acids um, gel over the over the screen to make us kind of like, I don't know, whoa, appeal to that audience. But, oh, strange. I've got the note here in my notes saying trash can dance, and I don't know if that's in reference to one of the characters said that, or maybe it was me saying, well, <laughs> but yeah, essentially the No, trash they're, they're dancing. dancing trash cans. Like, their <laughs> arms come out the side and they stand up with legs and they're doing the little shuffly dance oh, it's, um, it's and, and I'm just going why is this here this is a musical number in a in a movie that has in no way been a musical to this point uh, just thrown in and and the guards are going to each other can you see anything I can't see anything and then start bopping along to the music just uh, no no I understand you're trying to show them having some sort of weird, wacky, fun trip, but God damn it, Otto, no. Bad Otto. <laughs> it's like, don't make the audience have to watch it too or experience it. But Oh, but God, yeah. <laughs> and then this whole convoluted plan, as you're saying, that seems to go on for so long just to get them out of the prison and, and then eventually end up... Oh, I can't even remember the steps, you know. They create a balloon out of... Out of... Food packets, like like um, sacks from the food storage. So obviously, all the untainted food is now just all over the the, the floor in the, in the prison. So you know the the prisoners have have just got either LSG contaminated food or food that's just been strewn across the floor. Now, no one thinks of them. No, <laughs> no we no. all get to we all get to see Jackie Gleason. And I probably should look up who plays the professor, shouldn't I? Um, I can't even see. <laughs> I can't even Wouldn't see even who plays 
him. Was that was that Beanie? No, that was Richard Keel. That was yeah. um, oh, the guy that plays Jaws and James Bond is in there, by the way. Oh yeah, another one. <laughs> yep. Um, no, I can't. I can't mm, actually I can't see who plays the professor, but really, aside from just helping Jackie Gleason get high and then escape, he really appears to have no other purpose in this movie, um, oh. so, except that first brow-beating scene. Um, <laughs> and, and then, yeah, the, the balloon takes off, and we're treated to another little jaunty number as the balloon takes off, and it's like, uh, is this suddenly turning into a musical? It's like they suddenly got to the... It's like they filmed it in order and got to the second half and went, oh, Harry Nielsen, we need you to write some more songs to make it longer. I, you know, like, I have read that it's supposed to be a, a spoof of so many different kind of genres, but even... You would have had it a musical number before this. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. But but then when when, when oh no I, I just I, I can't I can't and we've still got an, so another number to to discuss that really did my head in but like even when they're when they're in the balloon it's like they're over the water then they're over the city then they're over the water again that was all over the place Jackie Gleason's daughter is on the boat with God and God's trying to get her hippie maybe boyfriend to. To essentially be a um, be a, a drug distributor for him <laughs> on the mainland, and and so he makes a phone call, and and again, this very convoluted message that that this hippie commune back at Jackie Gleason's house then needs to determine, which gives them the exact coordinates of uh, of Groucho Marx's boat. In again, another ridiculously convoluted scene where they're just working it all out which is like the only time we've, we've actually seen this commune do anything aside uh, from use up got to jackie gleason's uh, house yeah because i think all we ever do is see them sleeping pretty much it seems or singing their um folky songs <laughs> yeah yeah uh and and so that will that all leads us to uh to an amada again where do the hippie get all these boats from including people actually swimming in it, like from obviously swimming from shore to the ocean there's people swimming <laughs> amongst these boats, uh, it was storming like it was, down, a hippie army storming down. It was like he was trying to make this really epic, huge finale closing number that would just be like this huge spectacle on the screen and just did not work whatsoever because, again, <laughs> we've got that awful um, theme song coming straight back in and, yeah, our, um, our fleet of boats. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and uh, Jackie Gleason... The, the balloon he's in just happily floats out to sea and just happens across Rachel Marx's boat as well. So they're all together as Carol Channing, wearing an admiral's hat, comes over the railing with her army of hippies, singing the Skidoo theme song. Uh, and not just singing it, screaming it, screeching it, and repeating it. Over and over again, the same pretty much melody. Yeah, it keeps it's going. So badly, it's so badly done that it's not even recorded properly like a musical number. It's You can hear all the other yahooing in the background, so it's almost, it's so lost. And There's a few times where you, she's supposed to be singing and she's not even moving her mouth. <laughs> so it didn't quite have the effect that maybe he wanted. <laughs> Otto Preminger. <laughs> I, I just, why, why are you still singing? I mean, okay, fine. If you have like a little quick gag, that's great. But no, 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 you're exploring the entire boat, singing it until 
uh, you finally come across Jackie Gleason, who's trying to find Groucho Marx and is like really angry and, you know, obviously wants to, to really, really tell Groucho Marx what's what. Well, last saw Groucho Marx hiding in a cupboard. <laughs> uh, and then when, when Carol Channing comes across Jackie Gleason, she sings Skidoo to him a few times and then takes him off to a bedroom. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah. And we, we get to see, like Frankie Avalon marries Groucho Marx's girlfriend or something. Yeah, um, I think so. And then that's, um, that ended up. And I think the two hippies, even though he was in in, in the shower with Darlene, when because he was meant to shoot Darlene because Jackie Gleason didn't do his thing to kill Mickey Rooney in the prison, but no, they just ended up in the shower together. <laughs> you heard a gunshot and everything, but like you know, I don't know, I don't know who fired the gun or if it was just for effect. Even though Groucho Marx was locked in a sealed room somewhere else on the boat. <laughs> it's like they didn't try, they, they just thought at the end, oh, we better try and tie up any loose ends and just end the movie somehow. Like, and it's just, um, yeah, and all these characters that they've already established just happen to, as you said, like you've got Carol Channing and, and Jackie Gleason just going off to the other room and closing the door. Okay, that mitt's finished. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then, um, but then I think it's from here. Is it the, straight from here that we have to have one more scene on the boat, which which I mentioned earlier, which is Groucho Marx's final scene ever in a film, which is um, probably not something that he wanted to be remembered by. Yeah, yeah, him, him, and 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 the professor that was helping out Jackie Gleason, they just sail off in another boat. Uh, they're both. Dressed in like um, like rainbow tie dye robes and passing a joint joint to each other and uh, I think there's like something like love and peace written on the on the side of the boat or something strange um, and they just yeah. they, they just sailed off and that's that's it and then we get the closing that's credits it. which completely were were sung. And I think, I don't know if it's the, I have to look it up, but I don't know if it's the only time in history where the closing credits of a film are completely sung. And it's not just such and such starring, it is Key Grip and Gaffer and every other mm-hmm. possible character. I mean, apart, and halfway through I thought, okay, surely they're going to stop now and the rest will just be you know, on the screen. Oh no, he even reads out the copyright and the MX. <laughs> Yep, yep. Even the bit about um, you know any any uh, similarities between people living in de- like it, it is completely completely sung and and honestly, I thought that was the most entertaining part of the entire movie. It still went too long. Oh, definitely, but definitely quirky. It, it almost made you yeah. wonder. Like I wonder if in cinemas, if anyone was still awake or still there, would have waited to see that. Hey, it would have been one last hurrah for them or one last good thing possibly but um yeah it was quite a strange thing i don't think it's ever been repeated in a movie since but again possibly another way to sell the soundtrack for nielsen apparently oh harry nielsen apparently it didn't sell very well and i don't i can i can kind of see why (laughs) yeah yeah the the musical numbers were both bafflingly inserted in the movie whilst also just being straight out baffling in a movie that's probably not even a musical, but decides it wants to be at the last 20 minutes. So, yeah, strange. But I, I think it's a bit silly of us to be scratching our heads at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, frankly, I suppose now's a good enough time to, to move on. And uh, I, I don't know if anyone out there is going to be surprised by my comments, <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. You did pick this movie, so I shall provide my thoughts on uh, anything redeemable in this movie first. 
if you don't mind. No worries. Go ahead, Trevor. Let's see what you can do. Okay. Well, as we mentioned a few times, the the scenes in this movie, like every single scene seemed to have one idea and they just stretched it and stretched it and stretched it beyond the uh, the breaking point. Carol Channing, oh my God, she was so annoying in this movie. I mean, there was a lot of annoying actors in this movie, but she stood above them all. She was just so terribly annoying and, and just, just the dialogue was so stupid. Now, I know you mentioned earlier that uh, you had only just gotten the theme song out of your head. Uh, so uh, in response to that, let me just say, Skidoo, Skidoo, <laughs> this movie is a big pile of poo. Skidoo, Skidoo, Blood Rain is better than you. <laughs> oh, Trevor, I think we've summed up now what your feelings of the movie are. Oh, oh. And what a great tie-in. Another tie-in to the soundtrack there. Probably not going to sell any copies, though. <laughs> no, no. Look, I, I don't think it's a fact that this movie has aged terrible. I think just straight out, it's, it's, I've just got to say it, it's awful. Yeah. It's not redeemable. <laughs> Well, Trevor, I think, well, we definitely know where you stand on it, and I think, you know, my thoughts have been kind of hit and miss, because, you know, I always look back on all these sort of films with quite affectionately, or, you know, as quite a bit of an oddity, and, and kind of, you know, appreciate them, and I'll be honest, it's it's one of my favourite eras of film, that sort of psychedelic late 60s, I really appreciate that sort of era of pop culture, especially in how it was influencing cinema going, and the sort of movies that were being made, but yeah, Trevor, I... <laughs> It definitely represents a snapshot, snapshot of time, and whether you know, like with anything we see on, in a movie, whether it's fictionalized version of what actually it was like, or if it really was like that with hippies and things, I don't know. But we've very much shown young versus old mentality with this sort of thing. But it's definitely a historical artifact of the late sixties. It's got a, I suppose, a great cast lineup. I don't know if you could say great, probably good. But um, yeah, Trevor, I know you. You said yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's nothing to do with its age. It is a bad movie. And I think someone told me this once, and I think this is a perfect quote to use with Skidoo. Just because it's retro doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that kind of sums up Skidoo. It tried so hard, but there's so many other films of that period that are heaps better and almost represent that era so much better. And Skidoo tried, but it really was just... It was a it was a tryhard. No, I, I I wanted to make it redeemable historically, but I can't even give it that. So no, this this film should stay in the Paramount vault, which is Paramount who released the film have even disowned it. So yeah, I think we might have to as well. So uh, are you saying it's not redeemable, Christian? Yes, it looks like it's not redeemable. I can't even do it for retro sake. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, it's a very much a resounding not redeemable. For Skidoo. But you know what? Even this movie has its fans, which I, I don't understand, but it has its fans. <laughs> so, um, I've, I've done through the reviews, and again, there weren't too many, but this probably uh, sums up what, uh, what the more positive reviews were about. The title of this review is We Are All Fascinated by a Trainwreck, especially when it involves such a roster of A-list talent from the 60s and the swan song of one of the all-time greats, Jackie Gleason. Carol Channing and the incomparable Groucho Marx all signed aboard Otto Preminger's bizarre take on the evolving youth movement and attempted to shake it up in a cocktail mixer of hippie ho-hums and mobster mayhem that turns into one of the biggest train wrecks of the 20th century. It's worth a look just knowing you won't be able to turn away. 
five stars. See, even there, even as you say, that's a positive review, but even that's very much them looking at it, trying to give it a positive review. So, yeah, if you can appreciate it for its train wreck quality, I suppose, that would be a positive review. Mm-hmm. I think that they're going for the so bad it's good, but we just know it's so bad it's bad. Yeah, I wanted to try and like it, and I'm sure it had it had tiny bits that could be good, but, yeah, anyway, we can't redeem it. So, Trevor... I don't know where we can go from here. Well, to be honest, I I really wanted to get as far away from Skidoo as possible, uh, but realised that I that the movie I've picked actually still has some veiled drug references anyway. <laughs> However, technically it's a kids' movie, which makes it a rather interesting combination. This is a movie that won a number of Kids and Teens Choice Awards, However, was also nominated for a couple of Razzies, and I believe also won a special category made just for it. <laughs> it had very mixed critical reception, and uh, it's actually an adaptation of older material. And uh, the fans of the source material are pretty much split down the middle. This is one of those ones where, uh, yeah, there's two sides of the coin, and there doesn't seem to be any any middle ground. Uh, another thing that might have been, might be of interest to you is the the writer of this movie actually started out in trauma movies, um, and <laughs> went into mm. kids movies, <laughs> um, and has since worked since worked himself up um, to create one of the most popular Marvel movies of the past couple of years. Uh, it also stars a celebrity couple at the time who, again, in completely bucking all the trends, are still together today. So, Christian, we're going back to 2002, not too long ago, and we're going to check out the live-action Scooby-Doo movie. Ah! Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. One that I actually have seen a few times, Trevor, but, yeah, have very mixed thoughts on it. So, yeah, okay, I'm up for the challenge. I really wanted something fun. <laughs> Yeah, oh gosh, anything else. And this one. After after the last movie, I'm not even going to mention its name. Yeah, I think this will be a good change. And yeah, it's been a movie I haven't seen for a while. So yeah, I think we'll um, we'll try that. And and gosh, you love your your, um, cartoon adaptations, don't you? Well, you know, I've actually had a a few up my sleeve for this this year, so I haven't got through them all yet either, so be warned. (laughs) Now, if uh, anybody out there wants to check out Scooby-Doo, it's not too hard to find. It's actually on Netflix which makes it a bit easier for anyone who wants to check it out prior to the next Redeeming Features cast. But you can also rent or buy it on the PlayStation Store, the Apple Store, or the Microsoft Store. Um, so, again, yeah, it's a lot easier to get your hands on than that movie we just talked about that happens to rhyme with it. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think um, many people are going to want to track that down, and if they do, good luck to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're warned. You're warned about that movie we just talked about and I'm not going to name again. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll look forward to mixing it up a little bit next time then. Something totally different. <laughs> yeah, something totally different and uh, and technically family-friendly. There we go. There we, we go. D- we don't do too many family-friendly movies, really. Yeah, that's a good idea. So, yeah, something, yeah, something we can um, <laughs> yeah, look at a bit different. So, looking forward to it. Excellent. And, of course, we would love to hear from anyone out there listening. It's super easy to get in touch with us. You can head to rufusproject.com and leave a comment below this very episode. 
You can find The Roofers Project on Twitter or Facebook and send us a message that way, or you can send us an email to podcast at roofersproject.com. Yeah, we'd love to know. If you think we've been too harsh on that movie we just talked about, let us know if you've got some thoughts on whether or not Scooby-Doo from 2002 is redeemable. We would love to hear about that as well, or even if you have any suggestions for movies that you think we should try to redeem. Always up for that, because I know sometimes we dig a bit deep in the barrel, and it's always good to be able to hear from other people and see some movies they think we could redeem as well. But uh, before you send the suggestion through, I, I would suggest heading to that homepage, rufusproject.com, uh, and checking out our previous our list of previous redeeming features movies, just to make sure we haven't already done that one. Uh, and if we have done the movie you're interested in, well, you can click on the link and find out what we thought. Oh, we've done so many of them too. So let's see what happens with Scooby-Doo then. <laughs> Indeed. And of course, if you want more Rufus Project fun, uh, we'll have our mini podcast next week where we talk about essentially whatever's grabbing our interest at the time. And we have our new podcast on the Rufus Project family. Uh, I do that with my wonderful wife, Susie. You, you've heard her before on the podcast. She uh, came on as Violet Von Dutch when we did our burlesque episode. And uh, we've got a new podcast called What the History, where we give you bizarre bites of bizarre history. That works. Uh, and that's findable at wthpod.rufusproject.com, or you can find it through iTunes or your favourite podcast app. It's also on Facebook. Look us up. You'll find us. It's all good. Fantastic. Always a pleasure, Trevor, and um, all the best with your other podcasts as well, because the Rufus Project is still going strong. <laughs> Indeed it is. I thought, yeah, I just really want to give myself more podcast work. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. So enough to make you ask, what the history? So get on to it, folks. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, Christian, um, the, the movie was a complete stinker, but I have really enjoyed this chat. Yeah, no worries. I, yeah, if we can't redeem the movie, I know the chat is always redeemable. So thanks, Trevor. I look forward to chatting Scooby-Doo next time. Indeed. See you then. See ya. So bad it's good, what's this? Do you think we should have got bad? I love dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Boy? Oh boy. Christian and Trevor on the case, watching movies from all over the place. I'm the beast, it's bad, but we want to know if it's fun to be had. Boy? Oh boy. Redeeming features.
colors between the black and white. <laughs>